0: Experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to Lucky Episode Thirteen of the Diz Unplug Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and producer Craig Williams. Craig, how are you this week?
1: Oh, I'm great. How are you, Michael?
0: Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Have you recovered from our trip out to Disneyland in the studios?
1: Yeah, I've just about recovered at this point, so uh, mm-hmm. it's been a real whirlwind. Whirlwind. I can't say that if I tried six times over and over <laughs> again. It's been a really hectic uh, week and a half since uh, since we've been home, and just been basically non-stop. At, uh, I'm trying to make the best of everything, and... So, yeah, things have, okay. these things have been weird. Crazy yeah. weird. But how, how's everything with you?
0: Oh, fine. I'm still trying to unpack. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. T- trying to get caught up on everything. Uh, but it's, otherwise, it's, it's been very nice. Good. So Anyway, have you seen... Uh, what's the new film that's come out? Uh, Jungle Book.
1: I haven't actually seen it yet at this point. I was going to go on Thursday night and then was too busy. And uh, mm-hmm. basically, that's been the story every single night since then i just keep running out of time i need at least like six or seven more hours in a day
0: yes so yes. to sleep <laughs> That's <what I> need. <laughs> hey that might not be bad either <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah i'm hoping we'll see it this weekend our daughter is visiting for a few days so oh, very nice i'm hoping to carve out some time uh, i'm
1: very excited to see it so uh, I've heard
0: good things, and I was I was very skeptical, because I'm really getting tired of these remakes. Because, you know, they've announced Peter Pan. Um, I, I think they've announced one other one. I can't even remember what it is. So, LA,
1: yeah, and, I mean, obviously, upcoming this year, we still have Pete's Dragon. Um, yeah, or oh, have you
0: seen the dragon? What do you think?
1: I actually am okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's completely different. I I wouldn't want it to be the exact same Elliot. Otherwise, I, I don't th- I, I don't think there's any way that it could translate well. And I mean that that was obviously their struggle whenever they were trying to do the design, adding in the pink. They said it just yeah. couldn't it it wasn't working. So there's no point in trying to just to be a little bit more faithful to the original and kind of screw up that concept. So uh, I'm glad they just tried to make it their own and I, I don't think it's going to take away from the movie at the end of the day because he looks a little bit different
0: yeah yeah it'll be interesting to to see and this one isn't a musical right uh, Pete's Dragon.
1: yeah i don't believe it's a musical yeah. um yeah, so i
0: that'll differentiate it
1: yeah no i regardless of all that i'm i'm looking forward to it i'm very very much looking forward to seeing the jungle book i know that we are all uh at least rhino and i were very excited whenever uh we got to see uh, a little bit of the first glimpse of that back at d23 way Mm -hmm. way back when and uh no I, i love the jungle book it's it's one of those disney movies that i don't always think of whenever i'm thinking of my favorites but um the score is absolutely incredible. Not, not even the songs in the movie. Just, just the score in general. I, I oh, love that Adventureland vibe that it, that it has from. Uh, oh gosh, why can't I think of the name of the composer?
0: Oh, you know, and I was just talking about him too.
1: I feel completely stupid right now because <laughs> he is like my favorite. I, I'm gonna get it. As I really am just pulling it up in my iTunes. I know.
0: Well, the, the thing <laughs> is, I know I have it saved because I just did a, um, I just recorded a Disneyland podcast segment on Disney music. And so we George talked Bruns. about him. That's it. George Brunt. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he, brought, he brought jazz into uh, the soundtrack of Disney films. Yeah. Because yeah, that's what I was... I, I had mentioned that. You know, 101 Dalmatians, the Aristocats... And the Jungle Book,
1: no, yeah, I I era. love love his work. It just it I don't know. He's basically my favorite composer of that era. Not that I have a lot of favorites from that era, but <laughs> something about him, I just I just like everything that he does. So yes. yeah, I'm very excited.
0: To see well, it. W- well, in in our Lucky Thirteen episode, and which is titled "Building a World Out of a Wilderness," we are going. Um, we're going back, back in time, to a different era, and, you know, and that is the construction of um, of Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. And publicly, you know, Roy Disney had declared all projects would continue exactly as Walt had planned. You know, the Walt Disney Company had worked so hard to have the recent Florida legislation package passed you know, with the goal of constructing Epcot the city. However... Back in Burbank, all Epcot-related research and development was halted. Um, Walt's gone, said Roy. Instead, it was decided that any ideas and components of Walt's Epcot would be incorporated into the whole resort. To appease the Florida state legislature and to justify the legislation they had passed, the Disney company would continue to search for corporate sponsors who would offer state-of-the-art technology for the resort? Uh, There was, though, one Epcot-related project that was allowed to continue, and and we can still see a piece of it today, and that is the construction of the Progress City model Walt had initiated. Uh, However, the only reason the model was allowed to continue was because it had a sponsor, General Electric, because the model would be a part of the post-show for Disneyland's version of the Carousel of Progress. The 115 foot wide model incorporated most of the elements of Walt's Epcot City including its radial design, monorail and people mover transportation systems and the covered city center with the towering hotel at the center. This model served as a second purpose uh, to keep Walt's dream of the city of the future alive and give Disney executives and Imagineers more time to determine how best to deal with it. Uh, The the first um, corporate sponsors uh, included Monsanto, uh, the industrial chemical, polystyrene, and synthetic fiber manufacturer, and they would develop new materials for use in the new resort. Um, Aerojet General Corporation would install an innovative underground vacuum system to transport trash for sorting and disposal, and RCA would design the first 21st century information communication system for guests and cast members, integrating computer, telephone, automatic monitoring and control, mobile communications, television, and wideband into one system. U.S. Steel would partner with the Disney company to construct the first Disney World hotels. A subsidiary of U.S. Steel, American Bridge, was promoting modular construction using this method. The building structures would be assembled by constructing and furnishing individual rooms in a factory, then stacking them next to or on top of one another. They reasoned this would increase energy and noise insulation, since each room would have its own separate walls, floor, and ceiling. Also, this construction method was claimed to be faster and less expensive than traditional methods.
1: So do you know if it actually was faster? and less expensive?
0: I, I from what I understand, it ended up not being faster and more expensive and you know the the, there there's also a couple of stories the one is that you know they did this with the idea that then when they needed to refurbish a room they could just slide it out exactly But i've since heard another story that that was never the intention because when they put those rooms in you know they, they all they were different sizes and sort of configurations because of the the Slantness, you know, the the configuration of the hotel itself. So when they went in, they locked in. Yeah, and well, that was it. They were not coming out ever again.
1: Well, you have to figure with any building, it's going to start settling over time too, and that would make something like this very, very difficult. But yeah,
0: the interesting thing is there's a project going on in our town. I don't know what it is. I suspect it's a um, like a motor in because mm-hmm. it's next to another motor in and it appears they are building the rooms modularly. Oh, because they're building them. Because I went, I drove by it yesterday. Because I was trying to figure out what is going on over there, and they, they, they are literally stacking these rooms, these long rooms, huh. and uh, and some are next to each other, some are on top of each other, and and then they're building a frame. Wow. And, you know and all that. So it's going to be interesting to see what this ultimately looks like.
1: Yeah, we'll just have to find a way for you to get a few more free hours in the day and then we'll get you some binoculars and you can just go and spy on everything that's
0: happening. Oh, but you can just see it right from it's on the road to Costco. So oh,
1: well that's not as fun.
0: It's just right there. <laughs> I thought you're going to say so that I can, you know, stay there when it opens. <laughs> <laughs> so, check out the modular design. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so uh, Disney's five-year plan, if hotel demand and finances met expectations, included five hotels to be built around a lake fronting the theme park. Um, Each hotel would be heavily themed, as Walt had desired, and in a location to complement a view from within a realm of the theme park. For example, a flagship um, modern hotel based on the design of the Epcot City Cosmopolitan Resort Hotel Tower would be seen from Tomorrowland. And a triangular high-rise South Seas Polynesian-themed hotel surrounded by longhouses would be visible from Adventureland. Now the third hotel would be situated between the Polynesian and the theme park. And this Asian-themed hotel would have 400 rooms in a royal Thai decor. And the hotel would be configured in a square on the edge of the lagoon. And three sides would offer a view of the lagoon and the fourth of a garden. And in the center, a 160 foot tower would house 200 additional guest rooms, convention facilities, and crowned by a Thai restaurant and lounge for dancing and stage shows. So they were really into towers. Yeah. In the, in the center of these resorts. And
1: you know what? That's. I actually enjoy contemporary for that reason. I enjoy having that height. Um,. It is baffling to me that you go and stay at a Disney hotel and with the few exceptions that you're always just a couple, uh, couple stories off the, the ground floor. And that's and it. And,
0: and they're sprawling. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and that's, that actually – that style just doesn't really flow with me. I think that's why some of my favorite hotels on property are the Contemporary and Wilderness Lodge and then out in Disneyland loving Disneyland Hotel. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, I, I prefer that style, so I wish, I wish there'd be more of it.
0: Well, well, you never know what the future's going to bring. Yes. I doubt they're
1: <laughs> going to listen to me on that though. Uh, clearly, mm. clearly the style that they have chosen to run with is, uh, is working out well for them. But then again, Bay Lake Tower did pop up.
0: That's and right. So. Carol and I so like never. Bay Lake Tower. That's I, I one just, of our favorites.
1: I I do enjoy it for its proximity and uh just having that same type of theming that contemporary does uh but completely different at the same time. The only thing that I don't enjoy is every time I seem to go in there whether it's the lobby or um the the top of the tower or uh that's the name of the bar on top, right?
0: Top of the Top, top of the, of the, of the park, World. Top, top, top of the World, the world yeah. yeah. Uh
1: you know if anyone wants to know a way to sneak in, I'm never going to tell you how to do that. Because um, you're supposed to be a DVC to do that. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, um, every, or the couple times I've been in rooms there, they always just seem like uh, they're a little bit more run down in that the, the DVCers who are actually staying there aren't really taking good care of them. Which, uh, you know, I rooms get beat up. That's that's the whole point. They're, they're rooms. Uh it just I feel like any time I've been at a room at contemporary it it's kept up a lot better and they change up furniture a lot more often but hmm. maybe I've just well, been lucky and unlucky yeah. at the other.
0: Now I wonder also is it the quality of the furniture they've put in Bay Lake Tower? I mean people have compared it to IKEA.
1: Yeah, No, I I I love the the I love the decor. I just don't think it's as I think it is cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. It's cheaper.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so um, now between the Polynesian and the contemporary themed hotels would be the 500 room Venetian hotel. And canals throughout the resort would allow guests to float by gondola beneath bridges, um, past the glass atrium lobby and a shopping courtyard themed to St. Mark's Square. Have you ever been in Las Vegas, um, Craig? I have not oh well they built this oh okay <laughs> this, it's good. called the venetian hotel good and you would like it because it's three big towers oh but this is basically what it is description of it
1: oh no, i I've, I've never been there i'll have to check it out at some point i i know i'm gonna make it to vegas um i don't gamble but
0: no neither do i i like neither flashy things <laughs> so you'll like vegas then yeah Um, Set further back between the contemporary-themed hotel and the theme park would be the Persian Hotel, built to remind guests of a Far East palace, complete with a huge gold domed central lobby. Glittering mosques and columns would be set amidst landscaped courtyards and sculptured swimming pools. Now, all five hotels would be fine luxury hotels. The Old West-themed campground would offer accommodations for families on budgets in the woods surrounding Bay Lake.
1: So, I've never asked you this question before because we've never talked about it. But of the hotels that did not open up around that area, which one would you be most excited uh, if they would have all opened up? Which one do you think you would have loved the most?
0: Hmm. This is a hard. Well, see the Asian one because I like Thai food. Yeah, <laughs> but Carol wouldn't care for that. I don't know. Um, the Venetian one sounds interesting. Uh, maybe the Persian one, although today it might not hold up well. Yeah, that's... I, I think the Persian one, just because it's so, it's not Western.
1: Exactly. That that's yeah. me too. The Persian one. Uh, something about that speaks to me. I feel like mm-hmm. it has the. It, it would have had a chance to be just really unique and can completely different. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not that Thai or, um, Venetian would be normal by any standards, but, but with Thai, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about Thailand to honestly speak on how that would actually end up being so, but yeah,
0: I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I I like that it would transport you yeah. to a different place, and then of course they could theme it to Aladdin. Oh yeah, now yeah. if it still existed, exactly. So, but but now construction began in April 1969, and the first task for the Reedy Creek Improvement District was to drain areas of swampland for construction without damaging the environment. So over 50 miles of canals and levees were constructed on property to control water levels without losing the supply. So water control structures such as the French-designed Emile Gate would keep water levels under control by automatically floating open when water reached certain peaks and close when peaks subside. Um, They require no electricity or human monitoring and greatly reduce the risk of flooding or drought. And when you think about it, these canals were the first themed illusion built on the property because they were constructed to curve through the natural landscape so as to appear as streams that had always been there um, to avoid looking artificial. Now, once there was a way to control and drain the land areas needed for construction, Imagineers in Florida and California initiated multiple projects simultaneously. The Disney executives wanted the resort built in 2 years for a 1971 opening date. An outside group of engineers was hired to oversee construction, but they reported it would take at least 5 years to complete the project. So just as Walt did when building Disneyland, the Disney executives decided to use their own people to construct the resort so that the that outside group was uh, dismissed. Mm. So Bay Lake at the time was the only natural body of water on the property. And it was also one of the first areas of property Walt purchased, along with an island in its center. In the early planning stages, designers decided to build a man-made lagoon adjacent to it. So Bay Lake would offer plenty of space for water recreation and the lagoon would complement the setting of the Planned South Seas Polynesian Resort. Now, Bay Lake was first drained with pumps, and its bottom layer of muck scooped out. And next to it, over 7 million cubic yards of earth were dug up for the lagoon, and this earth was used as a foundation for the theme park. Now, white sand found underneath all the muck, was used to line the four and a half miles of beach around the newly created Seven Seas Lagoon. Bay Lake and the 172-acre lagoon were then refilled with water from the surrounding wetland and stocked with more than 70,000 fish. Now, the concepts for Walt's Epcot City were used to construct a self-sufficient resort by building its own energy plants, maintenance shops, food center, and laundry to handle the needs of cast members and guests. So miles of sewage, water, and electrical lines and pipes were laid out, paving the way for future utility plans. Now, the theme park and resort's utility systems were constructed with advanced technology to supply electricity and hot water for heating and cooling. And a wastewater treatment plant was built to treat effluent and direct it to a nearby tree farm and golf courses. A state-of-the-art computer system was installed in the central energy plant to monitor and control the distribution of power across the property. And another monitoring system was installed to detect smoke, fire, floods, or unusual water flow. Most of the support facilities were built north of the theme park. So, Central Shops was built to serve as the center for fabrication, for everything from trash cans to ride vehicles, to signs and ornamental iron and woodwork in and around the theme buildings. It was divided into several departments the machine shop, metal shop, maintenance services, electrical, plumbing, and air conditioning, staff shop mill shop and paint shop built next to central shops was a dry dock for building and servicing disney world watercraft you never really stopped to think that of all of that that had to be built yeah. before they could really even start the theme park
1: oh that's a very good point i mean it's <laughs> this stuff just doesn't come up from the from nowhere
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> well but the, all these buildings did but then the stuff that happens inside the buildings doesn't come from nowhere.
0: Right, right. Now, now there was no food distribution center in Central Florida um, area large enough to support the volume of the resorts and the theme park's guests. So the Disney company built its own. Um, almost all food was shipped there before going out to various locations on property. It had its own bakery for breads and pastry items, Uh, A main kitchen for preparing soups and sauces, produce, meat, pizza, sandwiches, and salads. A quality control kitchen allowed chefs to keep recipes consistent throughout property and evaluate menu items going in and coming off the line. The world's largest working wardrobe with offices in the park and separate hotels was organized to create and perform maintenance on cast member and audio animatronic figure costumes. To clean all those costumes, the world's largest laundry facility was constructed. Um, Besides cleaning costumes, it would launder resort towels, sheets, and napkins handled by cast members and guests. Now, over at the tree farm, uh, Bill Evans and his landscape designers and horticulturalists tended thousands of plants, trees, shrubs, and flowers needed for all the resort greenery. The original inventory of trees numbered more than 8,000. Some exotic plant life came from as far away as Asia, Australia, the Pacific Islands, and Africa. Many species required three years of acclimation to Florida soil before being transplanted on stage. Also, about 1,500 existing trees growing in areas destined for development were moved and transplanted in other locations. So the tree farm was actually one of the very first things started because... It, it took so long for some of these plants to acclimate and become established. Yeah,
1: I wonder how many of uh, any of the plant... Obviously, the trees would hopefully continue to thrive and grow with plants. Who knows? But I wonder how many are still around from from that opening time, how many of them died out in terms of the exotic ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, like the Jungle Cruise, unlike Disneyland's, they could use real... real you know, trees and shrubs and, yeah. and 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 greenery, whereas Disneyland's is a mix of
1: real and created. Except to my mind, it's all real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are the animals.
0: That's right. Yep. So now, monorail beams made of concrete with a special polystyrene core to lighten their weight came by rail from the state of Washington. The monorail trains were constructed in Martin Marietta's missile plants, large machine shops just up the road from the Disney property. Um, Plans called for two monorail tracks to circle the Seven Seas Lagoon. One would travel straight to the theme park from the main parking lot, and the other stopping at the resort hotels around the lagoon. Um, Future plans called for beams to extend all the way to Lake Buena Vista, where the Disney Village Resort was under development. And this monorail route never made it past the planning stages. That, that would have definitely changed uh, sort of the, the resort.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's why, as Walt Disney World fans, we still wish today that monorail could be expanded and start going further and further around property. Uh, the addition of more monorails would just literally set it apart from anywhere else in the world and i mean it just costs way too much money to do that it's a shame
0: unfortunately they they need they need a corporate sponsor they need donald trump they
1: have enough money to do it it's just they'd (laughs) rather do other things with it
0: Mm -hmm. so that's right (laughs) now antique steam trains had been purchased in mexico And brought to Tampa for complete rebuilding, supervised by Walt's old model train helper, Earl Vilmer. And Vilmer tore down each of the 43-year-old engines and used them as molds and patterns to make all new parts. There were no telephone lines or telephone system on the property before it was purchased. So the Disney Company formed a partnership with the Florida Telephone Company to create a completely new, state-of-the-art telephone system. Vista United Telecommunications was designed to serve resort, park, and administration telephones, and to transmit computer data and video signals throughout the property. It became the first totally electronic telephone system using underground cable instead of standard poles with overhead lines. And it would be the first to use a fiber optic system commercially, and the first in Florida to use the 911 emergency system. Although the Walt Disney Company had experience building one theme park, building Disney World was a completely different experience than building Disneyland. For instance, the sites for each theme park were completely different. Disneyland was built on compact, flat, sandy-dry site that was cleared by bulldozing orchards. Disney World was sprawling, honeycombed with streams, canals, lakes, swamps with deeply rooted plants that had to be dug up and cleared. The water table was four feet beneath ground level. And as a result, the base of the Magic Kingdom had to be raised 16 feet to accommodate the underground surface facilities and offices that had always been a part of Walt's plan. On the foundation where the theme park was to be built, a network of warehouse-sized rooms, hallways, and office space was built, then covered with more dirt. This nine-acre tunnel system called Utilidors would form a support basement. And these Utilidors were designed to provide easy, behind-the-scenes access to utility systems, offices, and storage areas, and also backstage passage to cast member work locations. Mm -hmm. One of the first major decisions was where to place the theme park. Roy's boys, the accountants, argued for building the park where it would be the most visible, near the intersection of two highways at the front of the property. The accountant's proposal would have saved the company time and millions of dollars, since much of the wilderness would not have to be cleared in this phase of the project. This would save money only in the short term. But from the beginning... Walt wanted the theme park at the back of the property to entice visitors to travel through any development on the property this would save money in the long term and Roy went with Walt's plan
1: and it was a smart idea absolutely So I I mean I hate having to drive all the way back to the very very far end but uh, that could just be changed by living north of property and coming in the back way
0: or, or live at Golden Oaks. I mean, you and you and Kylie are house hunting. Oh yeah, you know, and
1: it just so happens that three million is our budget. So. Well,
0: there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and for just a little more, you could probably live in Cinderella Castle to make it much more convenient. I know, right? Mm-hmm. That would that would be the
1: ideal dream. Uh, Except I, I wish they would get some better dining inside the castle if we were going to have to put up residence there. But, hey, you can't have everything.
0: Well, you know, if you can afford to live in the castle, you can have your um, your handmaidens and manservants go out and get you your food True. from anywhere. <laughs>
1: True. I will be having Casey's Corners hot dogs every single day.
0: That's right. I like those miniature corn dogs. Yeah. <laughs> So as, as the land um, preparation neared completion and construction began, uh, Disney executives confronted another obstacle: staying on schedule. Unlike California, Florida was a right-to-work state, uh, and f- where, where union membership was optional. All building trades were fragmented, and Florida had no acknowledged labor organizations, which meant Disney had no one to negotiate with between and within the trades. In a project as large and complex as Disney World, it was unclear which trade had the right to perform certain types of work. For example, could a carpenter move pipes out of his way to complete a job? Or did he have to wait for a plumber to move the pipes? And consequently, could the plumber pound a nail to secure a hose? Or did he have to call in a carpenter? During the site preparation, dragline operators walked off the job due to a jurisdictional dispute and picketed the property for several days. Under Florida law, there was nothing Disney could do. Bonar Dyer, Disney's corporate head of industrial relations, demanded all Florida unions be pulled together and sent a team of lawyers to Washington, D.C. to work out an agreement with the AFL-CIO and the Teamsters to guarantee unions scale wages, benefits, and working conditions. In return... The unions pledged there would be no strikes or work stoppages so long as the company worked to resolve any disputes through binding arbitration. Another significant difference between building Disneyland and Disney World, not to be underestimated, was that there was no Walt Disney to make the decisions. Walt knew exactly what he wanted when conceiving and building Disneyland. Everyone in the company looked to Walt for decisions, and his word was law. Roy was not only responsible for Disney World, he was responsible for the operation of the Walt Disney Company. Despite making frequent trips to Florida, Roy was not able to give the project his undivided attention. He let Richard Irvine and the Imagineers at WED be responsible for the designing and engineering of the resort and he relied on Joe Potter and Joe Fowler for the construction. Roy was confident that their military backgrounds and discipline would get the job done. But without Walt's control, power struggles soon developed within the Disney World project. Some tried to extend their areas of influence. And with the exception of Joe Fowler and Joe Potter, Roy had to play referee between internal fights amongst his staff. Uh So along with overseeing the construction of the theme park, Admiral Joe Fowler was personally overseeing the construction of two paddlewheel steamboats and 15 fiberglass submarines in a Tampa, Tampa yacht building yard. A dry dock was being built in a north service area for future continuing maintenance. During one of his visits to the project site, Roy stood in the gondola of a cherry picker and surveyed the Magic Kingdom site. Gas balloons of different colors, each indicating location and height of the landmarks. Cinderella Castle, the railroad station, Tomorrowland, the ca- carousel rose from the ground, in it- the and in the distance, balloons marked the hotels. Roy could see the earth movers carrying tons of earth to elevate the Magic Kingdom. In the drained bottom of Bay Lake, bulldozers scooped up centuries of ooze and roots down to the white sand so the water would eventually be clear and blue.
1: And when is it going to be clear and blue?
0: Um, I don't know. Is it still? Is it to this day? I've
1: never seen it clear and blue. I would love <laughs> to see it clear and blue.
0: M- maybe on that first day. Okay. Time machine. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere Roy looked, he saw land owned by his company. But what land? Land covered by barren dunes of white sand blackwater swamps tangled with roots and decaying trees, and a few groves of palmettos and pines. In a later meeting with his top executives, Roy Disney said, We're all mad. This is totally crazy. We've got $90 million in this project, and we don't have a single thing above ground. Roy became increasingly distressed by the ever-escalating costs of the resort. It's well known that all major Disney projects went far beyond their original estimates. Jack Lindquist once surmised that Walt studied the estimates of projects and submitted a more realistic budget estimate to Roy, which softened the blow of the final cost. Now the estimates came directly to Roy, and he was furious when they doubled and tripled. In an interview with Bob Thomas, Jack Linquist said, Without Roy, Walt Disney World wouldn't have happened. It was not just Roy saying, go ahead, build it. Everyone else was so in awe of Walt that they could not step forward and take his place. It took a Disney to do it, and that was Roy. Walt Disney had already designed a theme park, so he was not as interested in the Magic Kingdom because the company had already designed the theme park. Roy considered the Magic Kingdom as the centerpiece of the Florida project, whereas Walt's focus was on Epcot the city. Since the company had experience successfully building and operating a theme park, Roy saw the Magic Kingdom as financially and creatively safer for the company. As a result, Roy insisted the Magic Kingdom be designed as closely as possible to the layout of Disneyland which had been proven to be successful. <clears throat> Roy did allow Walt's suggestions for enhancements to Disneyland be included in the new theme park and also allowed improvements that would take advantage of Florida's climate and the expansive acreage of Walt Disney World. Consequently, Marvin Davis and Richard Irvine based their master layout of the Magic Kingdom on Disneyland only larger the streets walkways waterways and buildings were designed to be larger to accommodate the larger crowds expected to visit this new resort wonderland
1: you know what i Mm -hmm. call me crazy but with the exception of a couple areas in disneyland uh specifically the one that two that always come to mind first uh Right outside of the Tiki Room, walking through Adventureland, that is always a cluster. And then also Tomorrowland, uh, right around Astro Orbiter, which if it wasn't there, then it wouldn't really cause any problems. But other than that, I've never really found any problem with the size of the walkways. And, And I've always felt actually like some areas did seem more massive and expansive than Disney World. I mean, there's obvious... Uh, exceptions like our hub area in walt disney world is obviously way more massive than at disneylands but i i don't know maybe i'm just crazy but i always mm-hmm. feel like disneyland is still bigger in some way
0: mm-hmm. yeah fa- our Fantasyland land has a lot of bottlenecks
1: yeah yeah it, it does have small little areas but i mean even ours isn't perfect with that mm-hmm. ours is still awful with the exception of kind of like the one giant gaping area right behind uh, the carousel where they just have the walls up to lead you into new fantasy land. Mm-hmm. I mean without that it's all I mean we bottleneck everywhere in between <laughs> Seven Doors Mine I, Train and Pooh and then over by Peter Pan and Small World. You just you need to start being harsher about how many people are allowed in.
0: <laughs> I agree actually. And and in Walt's Day they they were yeah. But, at Disneyland. Uh, but, um, I think one of the reasons also it seems larger at our Disneyland is we have more attractions. True. Than the Magic Kingdom. Yeah.
1: And if we took out a lot of those, then there would be all this space for extra yeah. walking.
0: That's right. But, you know, Disneyland has had 60 years to add attractions. So, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. And
1: I feel, like, I feel like in our history at Walt Disney World, we've had you know we're getting closer and closer to 50 years now and all we do is keep really taking out old ones and replacing it with something new and technologically better but sometimes always not a better story so
0: yeah well we we have the same challenge at Disneyland i mean you know we're, we're a lot of times we're confronted with um if we want something new you know something old has to go
1: yeah and you know you all should have been a lot more happier whenever People Mover left to make way for Rocket Rods. Just...
0: <laughs> well, if Rocket Rods had worked, maybe. <laughs> like if, it had been, if its budget hadn't been slashed. Yeah. And if Cal OSHA wasn't nosing around as much. I... But anyway, but then that's a political discussion for another show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, so. So yes, Marvin Davis and Richard Irvine were basing all their designs on a much larger park, but there was um, one exception. Um, the castle that it was decided to keep Sleeping Beauty Castle unique to Disneyland. Um, the icon, you know for this larger magic kingdom would be a much larger castle with a moat circling it large enough to carry boats. Um, the castle was designed to be large enough to attract guests from a distance as they came around the Seven Seas Lagoon on the monorail. A new castle also called for a new resident, and this would be the Castle of Cinderella.
1: Uh, so I, I don't know if you have an answer for this or not, but uh, when, when did the dec- decision come to replicate Sleeping Beauty Castle with, with Hong Kong Disneyland? Was this just something, you know, done at the time? Do you know anything about it?
0: Hong Kong Disneyland was... It was one of those parks that suffered due to budget. Uh-huh. And uh, and the interesting thing is, is that in talking with a friend uh, who has knowledge of some of this... You know, we went through our huge, uh, you know, reimagining of Fantasyland. Yeah. You know, in the eighties, one of the plans that Tony Baxter wanted to do was tear down our Sleeping Beauty Castle and make it twenty-five percent larger, so that the interior could be utilized more effectively. Without um, and and it would still be in keeping with Walt's, you know. Concept that it would not dwarf Main Street USA, yeah, and and it would not, and, and it would still be visible. It was, st- it would not be visible outside of the berm, huh? Because what wanted that reveal when you were on Main Street? He didn't want it from outside the park, but uh, that that didn't happen. And Tony, and, and when I heard this, I thought that there would be no way they'd never get away with it. But Tony Baxter thought. This was before the Internet, you know, looking back on it. He thinks in 83, 84, they would have gotten away with it. Yeah, um, I mean. So, huh. but the interesting thing was when Hong Kong Disneyland was built and it was pretty much sort of a, a car- carbon copy of, you know, of Disneyland. Not quite, I mean, but close. They didn't do that with the castle. They didn't make it larger. Huh. So it could be the interior could be used. So that's sort of a curious, a curious decision that they made. But it was cheaper to build an existing park than you know rebuild it than to come up with something new and exciting. True, very true. And unfortunately, Hong Kong is struggling financially as well. So, well,
1: I just want to get there at some point in time to see it, and then. October 2017,
0: Craig. And uh, not me. Not me. <laughs> well, you'll have to live vicariously through me. Deal. <laughs> okay. so. But just think of what a wonderful connecting with Walt we could do. I don't, I'm uh, looking Kong, forward to Shanghai. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, as at Disneyland, uh, guests would enter the park through a tunnel beneath the railroad tracks that circled the park and step onto the turn-of-the-century main street. And at the end of the street, the lands would branch off from, one, from the, the central plaza or hub. However, the layout of each land would have a significant difference from Disneyland. At Disneyland, each land was designed to be a self-contained dead end to prevent each land's theme and architecture from sort of visually intruding you know, into another land. But, like we were talking a little earlier, this resulted in crowding bottlenecks and forcing guests into having to repeatedly walk back to the hub in order to visit another land. All the lands at Disney World were interconnected. Fantasyland, the most crowded land at Disneyland due to the bottlenecks, um, was designed as a long corridor. In Disney World, which is funny because that's what I don't like about that Fantasyland.
1: Yeah, me, me too. And,
0: and I think it's because we once had a boardwalk theme park in San Francisco called Playland at the Beach. And that's exactly what it was. It was pretty much just one long corridor with attractions on both sides. And so Fantasyland reminds me of that at Disney
1: yeah, so really. So Disneyland really was... Originally, like that, you had to go back out to the hub in order to make it to another land if you wanted to. There was no right. shortcuts.
0: no, it was only over time as the park as they d- expanded that um, walkways were then cut in between. The only exception was that little walkway between Adventureland and Frontierland where the washrooms are yeah, that existed. That was there from opening day, huh.
1: I, Yeah, I I never knew that. I never had heard that before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So now, although Roy Disney believed Disney World should capitalize on what made Disneyland successful, he did not believe it made financial sense to open the park with as many attractions that were currently at Disneyland, since that park had 15 years to add new attractions since its opening day so many low-capacity attractions were omitted entirely or left for consideration in future expansion projects. So let's take a look at at what was approved and and left behind. So in Fantasyland, Dumbo the Flying Elephant and the Mad Tea Party were included. The Storybook Land Canal Boats, uh, Casey Jr. Railroad, and Alice in Wonderland Dock Ride would remain exclusive to Disneyland at that time. As we discussed in earlier episodes of Connecting with Walt, rather than duplicating the dark ride attractions of Disneyland, the Imagineers proposed building Sleeping Beauty, Ichabod Crane, and Mary Poppins' dark ride attractions. But once again, Roy Disney insisted the Imagineers stay true to Walt's original and successful Disneyland attractions and construct Peter Pan's Flight, Snow White's Adventures, and Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. However, the Imagineers did manage to make these attractions somewhat unique from their Disneyland originals. Instead of building a version of Disneyland's Fantasyland Theater where Mickey Mouse cartoon shorts were shown, Imagineers designed the audio-animatronic Mickey Mouse Review. This was one of my favorite attractions when I first went to um, Walt Disney World.
1: Yeah, I've, I've watched video of it. Um, from whenever it was moved to mm-hmm. Tokyo, mm-hmm. but
0: and when Car- when Carol and I visited Tokyo Disneyland, Disney Sea, yeah, I got to see the Mickey Mouse review there as well.
1: Very cool. <laughs> now I just seen seen video of it. I'm so upset that I've never seen it in person, and will never see it in person.
0: I thought it. I I loved it. I thought it was cool, and I liked that it. Uh, it, it sort of told. It had all the characters. Yeah, it had many of the characters. Which, really, when you think about it, the um, the the Mickey's uh, what what's in there now? Sensational no filler magics. Filler magic. Yeah. I, I get all these funny names confused between the parks. That's sort of that is. It definitely, I think, is the next generation of Mickey Mouse review in a way. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. because it, it has the characters back in there again in Fantasyland, and I. I think every Fantasyland should have those original characters in it. Yeah,
1: I know, I I agree, and I do love filler magic, but something about Mickey Mouse Review just seems classic Disney to me. And
0: they they do still have that Mickey Mouse Review. It's all wrapped up, and it's in storage. I was always hoping they'd get rid of Muppets over at California Adventure and, and have the next generation of the Mickey Mouse review. And yeah. That would be a wonderful little fit. One day, maybe. One day. Yeah, well, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Disneyland, um, It's a Small World wasn't relocated from the New York World's Fair until 1966, and it had to be built a distance away from the center of Fantasyland. Um, In Disney World, it was constructed as a standard Fantasyland dark ride attraction. Now, unlike Disneyland, where space was at a premium and attractions had to be installed wherever space allowed, which sometimes compromised the theming of a land, Marvin Davis and Richard Irvine could place attractions where they made the most sense thematically. So, for example, uh, the submarine voyage could be placed in Fantasyland rather than Tomorrowland and reimagined as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, The same for Utopia, which was rethemed as an International Grand Prix raceway and also placed in Fantasyland rather than Tomorrowland. A site for the Matterhorn bobsleds was selected in Fantasyland for future expansion. I wonder what's there today.
1: In that space, I mean, I wish it was Matterhorn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, even though I can't ride it anymore, I wish it still was. Just the, did
0: you go on it the last time you were out there with the new padding?
1: I did. Um, I yeah,
0: I, I think it made a huge difference. I think Tom disagrees. with Yeah,
1: I too, disagree with you too. It, it made oh. no difference. I felt more comfortable in there, but it still just killed my back. It,
0: oh yeah, oh that I agree with, but I have a um. Being of British descent, <laughs> I I have no rear end, so that um, pounding on on my bum was horrible. And so um, I appreciate that.
1: Pattern. Yeah, see, I I never had a problem with that. Just just the back. Mm-hmm. It's always yeah. been my back, but. <clears throat>
0: Now, due to the close proximity of the real New Orleans and the Caribbean to central Florida, Disneyland's New Orleans Square did not cross the Mississippi to Disney World. Imagineers created a new land, Liberty Square, for the eastern edge of Frontierland. And Liberty Square was based on an area Walt Disney had once planned for Disneyland 10 years earlier called Liberty Street, which would have showcased an attraction called One Nation Under God in a Hall of Presidents. Now, Liberty Square would include a Hall of Presidents with an audio-animatronic of every United States president, and it would also bring over the Haunted Mansion from New Orleans Square and the Mike Finn Keelboats and the Golden Horseshoe Review from Disneyland's Frontierland. Now, Tom Sawyer Island in the center of the Rivers of America with its Mississippi paddle wheelers and canoes would also be in the center of Frontierland. However, our stubborn pack mules and the Indian village stayed out west. A brand new attraction once designed for the Disney Mineral King Ski Resort, the Country Bear Jamboree, was also added to Frontierland. At the far western end of Frontierland, a large plot of land was reserved for the next major expansion project of the theme park, Thunder Mesa. This sprawling attraction designed by Imagineer Mark Davis would include hiking trails across a tabletop mountain to a Pueblo-style village, a mine train roller coaster, and the Western River Expedition Dark Ride attraction, which was to rival Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. Every attraction from Disneyland's Adventureland, the Jungle Cruise, Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, and the Enchanted Tiki Room, would cross the country to Disney World. Tomorrowland would be based on the 1967 version of Disneyland's Tomorrowland, the best one, I think. A world on the move. This land, in this land would be a skyway station, the People Mover, the Circle Vision Theater showing America the Beautiful, the Flight to the Moon attraction, and the retractable Tomorrowland Terrace stage. Another dark ride attraction to be determined in the future and additional land set aside for future attractions if Disney could attract the corporate sponsorship. In keeping with Walt's plan for the resort, the monorail would be a transportation system carrying guests throughout the resort property instead of simply being an attraction as it was at Disneyland. So Craig, did you have any idea all of this went into the planning and construction of Walt Disney World?
1: Well, I was hoping that (laughs) a little bit of thought was put into it. Um, it just, you know, I, I still just wish that Walt could have been around to have more of an effect on Mm -hmm. the outcome of our magic kingdom. Uh, not that I have any problems with our Magic Kingdom. Obviously, it holds a, d- such a, a great place in my heart, and it's such an important park to me. But I just, it, every time we talk about it, I feel like it could have a completely different voice. Something just drastically different if Walt would have just been around a little bit longer to have a little bit more of an impact on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know we've talked about in, in other episodes how, you know, Watt would be annoyed sometimes when he was shown the designs for the Magic Kingdom. But I I like to think that he would not have um, gone the route Roy did, where it basically duplicating Disneyland, that maybe he would have at least, he would have, you know, given it some attention and said, you know, we meet, we need to improve upon and make it different.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially whenever it comes to the choice in the dark rides. Uh, however, in a case like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, where we had the, the dual tracks, that's obviously uh, a case where we got the better end of that deal. And it's a shame that ours still isn't open to this day, but not even going to go down that road because all the toad heads will come out of their holes wherever they're hiding at. But, uh, no, they're
0: just... They're riding hours. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, and, and, you know, some things definitely were what Walt wanted. I mean, he originally wanted a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea submarine attraction at Disneyland with Nautilus-style subs. However... The company that was sponsoring uh, the submarine attraction actually made uh, the nuclear subs for the U.S. Navy, and so they wanted the subs to look like theirs. Yeah, to sort of as promotion. So, you know, Walt had no choice there because hmm. he didn't want to pay for them himself. Um,
1: smart, smart man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. no. Uh, overall, it's it's just it's all baffling how it all came together in such uh such a h- awful circumstance with Walt passing away and mm-hmm. but but it happened and that's that's the important part
0: right and it's still a place we all enjoy going to exactly <laughs> yeah so so now in our final April episode of connecting with Walt we'll continue our story of the construction of Walt Disney World and You know, maybe we'll even attend the opening day ceremony. Yeah,
1: I don't know. The crowds will probably be a little too heavy.
0: I I have a connection with the mouse. Oh, okay. I'll get us in. Fantastic. (laughs) So, now, uh, many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including Since the World Began, Walt Disney World, The First 25 Years by Jeff Curdy. Building a Company, Roy O. Disney, and the Creation of an Entertainment Empire by Bob Thomas. Reality Land, True Life Adventures at Walt Disney World by David Koenig. And Spinning Walt Disney's World by Charles Ridgway. Now, Craig, uh, there's been a new publication that's come out uh, um, since we last spoke. Um, have you seen the new Life magazine commemorative on Walt Disney from Mickey to the Magic Kingdom that was released on April fifteenth?
1: I actually saw on Twitter one of my uh, one of my Twitter friends posted pictures of it, and inside, I haven't had a chance to make it out to a store that sells the magazine yet to to pick it up on my own. I heard it is costly; it's like fifteen dollars, but worth Mm -hmm. every penny so but but it's
0: also not like a a standard life magazine it's one of those big ones that they do on princess diana every other year i mean that kind of sucks yeah so but um but what i've excuse me um i've you know you can also get it on amazon and i we will have a link to that in our show notes and i think you save like a dollar 40 or something if you're a prime member oh really okay um yeah i need to i ordered i ordered Several. I wish you would have told me
1: before we started recording. I'd already have it ordered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
0: I sent you the link. Did you? I did.
1: <sighs> it's somewhere. Somewhere <laughs> it hidden on, in my look email. On,
0: look, no, no. Look on Facebook. Oh, on
1: Facebook. That's yeah, why. Messages. I'm awful with yeah. Facebook. Yeah.
0: So, anyway. Well, there's all kinds of stuff there for you. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so anyway, but... So this this goes from this magazine goes from you know Walt's boyhood um, all the way through uh, the, through basically the the um, through all the films through Disneyland through the Magic Kingdom because and the reason is because there's all these photos including some very rare photos because Life Magazine was there chronicling you yeah. know, most of these events because people forget. Life Magazine was like the magazine for decades, and and there's you know the very famous Life Magazine. It's of of the cast members standing in front of the castle, yeah. you know, bef- be- before opening day. I have that magazine actually. So anyway, so it's it's basically this is available wherever you'll find Life Magazine, um, and from online re- retailers like Amazon.com. So anyway. So that's it. So, Craig, until our next episode, where can our listeners hear more from you?
1: You can find me mm-hmm. on the Universal and Disney World editions of the Dis Unplugged. Uh, and that's about it. And then you'll find me <laughs> on all my social media pages, this, that, mm-hmm. and the other. And if you're lucky, you'll see me in the parks one day. Uh, okay. Probably not for another... Uh, well, by the time this is released, I might be in the parks again starting at some point next week, but uh, chances are I will be hidden away in my closet of an office. just oh, in your lair? In, in my lair, just in a dark room editing away. So,
0: Well, that sounds like a lair. Every lair should be dark. Yes. It's how I like mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you can find me every Sunday night on the Dis Unplugged podcast Disneyland edition with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulatto-Willie, and Tony Spatel. We have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. Listen to us live on Mixler Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland Time. You can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at www.dizunplug.com. You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at michaelbowling121. Facebook just just look for Michael Bowling and Instagram Michael Bowling The Diz. Well thank you for making us a part of your day and remember I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a man Walt Disney and his brother Wall.